Today, I'm joined by Mike Volkoff, and we look at the DOJ's pivot away from punishing recidivists. First, a word from Nick about the ethics verse. Your network is your net worth. Neither are big enough. Hi, this is Nick, chief servant at Ethico and host of the ethics verse, the coolest place to be every Thursday at noon Eastern. The ethics verse is our weekly free webinar series where we invite the top minds in the ethics and compliance space to share their knowledge on topics that matter most to people on the front lines. These are not thinly veiled sales presentations. These are weekly sessions that help you elevate your impact and build an authentic culture of integrity with tactics on how to sustainably crowdsource risk intelligence at scale within your organization. Join the special community each week to build your network, earn free CEUs, win the hottest books in the ethics and compliance space, and gain insights you can implement immediately to expand your impact and reinforce your culture of integrity. You can continue to be the hero within your organization. Go to ethico.com cpn to book a demo, sign up for the ethics verse, and download the exclusive white paper by Tom Fox, 2023, the year in compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and I'm absolutely thrilled today to have the guru. Yes, indeed, the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Volkoff. Mike, welcome to the pod. Tom, great to be here. Always great to be with you. Uh, the guru, I wouldn't say. Uh, we may want to put some additional um, asterisks next to that. Just, just like Roger Maris's record, uh, there's an asterisk. Okay, when it comes to me appearing with you, I'm here. Really, just longtime colleague and friend. You are amazing, and any chance I get to talk to you is always a pleasure. So we're going to actually do a pod on a blog post you wrote, where you, for you, in your language, excoriated the DOJ, in my opinion, for a series of recent FCPA enforcement actions. And it really comes from back in 20, I believe, or maybe even 20, no, 20 it was 2022. Right. In October 2022, the Department of Justice, or rather a Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, the DAG in parlance, gave a speech where she said the DOJ was not going to countenance recidivism, that they were going to come down hard on recidivism. And if you're a recidivist, you better watch out because there was going to be some serious pain coming. That was in October 2022. December of 2022, we had the first three-time FCPA loser, recidivist, whatever you want to call them, in ABB, and announcing a settlement that many of us, including the people on this podcast, thought was stunning. And that was ABB, and that's the setup, Mike. You, why don't you tell us what we both thought was so stunning about the ABB settlement? No, thanks, Tom. And I wouldn't say excoriated. I would say questioned. But I also think that there are true fingerprints here that give us an indication of something that's going on in DOJ's FCPA policy that doesn't match, or FCPA and uh, corporate enforcement program, that doesn't match the words that they've written in some respects. Because by the end of 2022, we were looking at, if you're a recidivist, you could get in trouble and you may not, you're definitely not going to get all the benefits that you would get if you met the requirements of a voluntary disclosure timely remediation, and full cooperation. ABB hits the scene at the end of 2022, and they paid uh, 
a penalty of $315 million, including $75 million to the SEC. Two of their subsidiaries were required to plead guilty. They also credited ABB's payment of $142 million to South African law enforcement. And the DOJ cited extraordinary cooperation, extraordinary being, and suddenly we had a new concept that we had to try to define, and extensive remediation. And then there was a technicality as to voluntary disclosure, whether or not they got credit for that. But their prior criminal history, and we had heard also that there's going to be these examinations of companies in their prior criminal history started with ABB was guilty of bid rigging in Egypt in 2001. They pled guilty to bribery in 2004 in Nigeria. And they had a deferred prosecution agreement in 2010 for FCPA violations in Mexico and Iraq. And all of a sudden, we're looking at a situation with the first three-time loser. If you go through the facts, which I'm not going to do in detail, but These were classic situations where third parties were used to pay bribes, where we had the head of ESCOM, that being the South African Electricity Company, basically the CEO referring third parties to ABB, knowing full well that these folks were going to be funneling bribes. And what made no sense to me was this ultimate penalty of $315 million where you didn't get voluntary disclosure, although it was technical, and I could see making an argument, and I'm sure their lawyers did a great job. But extraordinary cooperation and extensive remediation has now become a ticket out of the recidivism penalty. And that's what didn't make sense to me. And I scratched my head on this one. And then I started to say, okay, so let's start telling people about what extraordinary cooperation requires. What is extensive remediation? And there's no question that ABB, once they found out about this, once they started to disclose this to DOJ, there's no question they fell on their sword and they did as much as they possibly could. I would have loved to have been outside counsel handling that case because Anything compliance needs, wants, or could theoretically desire, they would get. But to me, it was a walk back. We look back on the history of all the cases that have been brought through the years, right? In the top of your top 10 corporate FCPA settlements. This one, to me, ABB looked like at a minimum like Ericsson in 2019 with a billion dollar penalty. Or even Telia, 800, 900 million, MTS, Siemens, even a Siemens case in 800 million. But I don't have a good explanation for why there was this walk back. And this was the beginning of the walk back. And my argument is that is it has continued. Uh, it actually ended up happening in 2024. We saw it in the beginning of the year with the SAP case. But that's my, my, my question to you, Tom, is after Lisa Monaco spoke about recidivists being hammered, then we had the year finish out with this ABB case. So what's your take on it? So, Mike, a lot of us scratched our heads, myself included. The best line I heard after the settlement was announced was that the DOJ 
thread a very close needle or very narrow needle in the settlement. But we didn't have to wait long to find out why, because in the first two weeks of 2023, we had a series of announcements from the Department of Justice, policy announcements and additional documents which were released, one of which was the 2023 Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, or what Kenneth Polite called the 2023 ECCP, now entered the compliance lexicon. But the second was the reformulation of what, under Rod Rosenstein, was called the FCPA Corporate Enforcement Policy, which laid out the incentives for companies to self-disclose, extensively remediate, extensively cooperate, and disgorge any ill-gotten gain. That was renamed the Corporate Enforcement Policy and made DOJ-wide for corporate white-collar crimes. And in that speech, Mike, uh, announcing that policy, Kenneth Polite made very clear that the number one priority for the Department of Justice was self-disclosure. You, me, and many others before ABB, I think, wondered aloud if a company would become a recidivist by self-disclosure and are going to get hammered by the DOJ, there may not be a lot of incentive to self-disclose. Now, ABB had self-disclosed several years ago, so that was not a question for them after the, the Deputy Attorney General speech in October 2022. But the speech, speech by Kenneth Polite laid out really a new calculus, and for me it explained what happened with ABB. As you really laid it out, Mike, we had a about as close to a self-disclosure as you can have without a self-disclosure, which is we want to schedule a call to talk to you about something. Okay. Yeah, no, we I want to schedule that, a- that's a weird fact, don't you think, Tom? In other words, if I call you up at DOJ and I say, I want to come in and I don't tell you what it's about, but it, it turns out it was ABB, to me, this is form over substance, okay? You called me. You know, well, whatever. As you say, Mike, you pick up the phone and call your buddies at uh, the fraud section all the time. Yeah. Hey, this is Mike. Yeah. yeah we just well, but, no, first off, I, it's just a weird fact. But to me, to make a to make it a distinction between voluntary disclosure or not, it's not like it changed after that. He, the lawyer was calling for that reason. But whatever. They basically try to give them as much voluntary disclosure right. credit as they could. Now. You were also correct in noting ABB basically said, fell on their sword. But from the company perspective, Mike, I think they recognize this is three times in 20 years where we've engaged in bribery and corruption. We are broken. Whatever we say our values are, those are not our values in action. It is not deeds, but action. And we must take action to change our corporate culture we must put in the top gold-plated standard compliance program. And they were one of the first to go completely in for data-driven analytics. On the extensive remediation side, I think they met that goal. I know they met that goal. And I know that they realized they had a huge culture problem. They had to fix their culture in addition to fixing their compliance program. But then we moved to extensive cooperation. And here's, Mike, where things for me got a little fuzzy. 
because we previously had a requirement for extensive remediation, but now we had a double secret, super speedy, need for speed requirement for cooperation and investigation with the penultimate line being, we can't put it down in writing, but we know it when we see it. That doesn't provide a lot of guides. Now, you sit across from the table from these people. You know what it's like to self-disclose. You know what it's like to report. And you've actually sat on both sides of this table. That, to me, was a little befuddling. But Kenneth Polite made clear, we want speed and self-disclosure. If you get a hot doc in the middle of a invest interrogator interview, we want it then. If a witness says something in an interview, we want a phone call saying, hey, this witness said something. Don't call back to your client and figure out how we're going to use this or strategy or reasoned counsel that you, someone like you might provide to a business. Nope. The need for speed is pervasive. So now we have this new need for speed in your investigation. And none of us really to this day know what that means. Profit disgorgement, I think, has been around enough, and you may argue what's the definition of profits, et cetera, but it's a lot less a contentious issue. But his explanation when they announced the corporate enforcement policy, Mike, I think explained, at least to me, how ABB was able to get such a incredible resolution. And that brings us forward through 2023 into 2024. We had a major FCPA enforcement action around Albemarle, but they were not a recidivist. So we only saw the extensive remediation and extensive cooperation, but we didn't see the hypersonic ABB level of cooperation. And you correctly bring us... Let me back up for one second, Tom, because I think what you were just saying is really important about when Kenneth Polite change the corporate enforcement policy, they raised the discounts for voluntary disclosure. Now you can earn up to 75%. And even without a voluntary disclosure, but with ex- with supersonic whatever cooperation and remediation, you can get up to 50%. And that's a big change from 25% from the bottom of the guideline range. And when we could be talking multiples of millions in the tens or even hundreds where this would make that much of a difference in terms of the ultimate penalty. But I think that announcement was pretty significant because I think, and what DOJ was now saying is, look, at the same time we told you last year, everything's going to be really tough on recidivists. We're also putting out more carrots for you on the voluntary disclosure side. And what I can't figure out, Tom, is what happened within DOJ that led to this 2023 thinking because it changed. It was clearly something happened with ABB and something happened into 2023 where there was some concern about being so tough that they wouldn't get people coming in and disclosing, or people coming in and cooperating. And I don't know where the calculus came from. And then we can talk about Albemarle, and I'll say and save SAP for a second. 
But what ha- something got something changed in 2023 on this recidivism issue, and I can't, for the life of me, map it out. It doesn't make sense to me in some respects. It's what I don't, and I think DOJ runs a risk. The one thing they've always been very clear about is here's our policy, and we're telling you over and over again. And people, uh, I have seen just true professionalism. What happened here is there was some questioning. There must have been some internal debate. I don't know. But it's hard for me to figure out exactly what happened within the bureaucracy uh, in this time period. But I hear you that I think ABB, something happened the way they handled ABB because it tied into these announcements in 2023. I agree, Mike. We don't know the answer. But let me just go to one thing that you said in 2010, you said it in 2015 and 2020 and every year in between, which is the DOJ always signals right. their direction. And I thought the Kenneth Polite speech announcing the new corporate enforcement policy signaled that. Now, you couldn't be more clear than the Deputy Attorney General's speech in October 2022, but you're right, something changed. And I don't know if compliance professionals rose up and said, look, no one's ever going to, no recidivist will ever self-disclose. I don't know if people sitting across the table from the DOJ like yourself said, guys, this is misplaced. If cooperation is what you want, you're going to have to back off of that and you're going to have to give us something. I'm not quite sure what changed, but something changed. And when we had the back-to-back SAP, excuse me, AP enforcement action, with literally two to three weeks later, the police speech, it was very clear to me what had changed. One other thing, just additional evidence, in the corporate enforcement policy update, there was a list of things, or a release of document of what require uh, steps or requirements for a monitorship or factors to be evaluated. But you know what the number one factor was? Did you self-disclose? And I actually had the chance to ask Glenn Leon at Compliance Week 2023, why was that factor number one? It didn't seem to relate to what you would evaluate around whether a company needed a monitorship. And he basically said, that's number one. That's it. And no explanation why, it just was. And somewhere... They made the decision, Mike, that they want self-disclosure. And whether that's all part of the Biden administration, corruption is a national security issue, the expansion of sanctions, export control enforcement, where they continually say self-disclose, this is a fight to the death. And yes, you're a business, and yes, you're a civil side actor, but we see it as national security. Maybe it's all part of that, but something changed. And after the Polite speech in the first two weeks of January 2023, I think certainly I thought hammer coming down on recidivists, you could ameliorate that hammer quite a bit. But Mike, the for me, the important thing was not the change, was the communication of what was important. Because I could go to a client now and say, number one in the ABB, number one in the police speech, and number one through 2023 and 
with SAP was self-disclosure. And SAP didn't self-disclose, yet we got three paragraphs on the need for self-disclosure. If you don't self-disclose, you don't talk about it in your settlement documents. You decided they didn't self-disclose, move on. There was literally three paragraphs in the DPA about they didn't self-disclose, so they didn't get all of these other benefits. Right. That's a message to me. You need to self-disclose. And the same thing happened with Albemarle. They didn't self-disclose, so they didn't get that benefit. They got a lot of other benefits, but self-disclosure was not one of them. The self-disclosure has become paramount, and I see that in the sanctions world, in the export control world. Not too sure about the antitrust world, but because you guys always operate under a different set of rules. Right. But certainly in, tr- in the three that we look at, AML, trade sanctions, and then anti-corruption compliance, it is self-disclosure now above all else. So that message really came clear to me, clearer through Albemarle up to SAP going forward. So I thought that was an important message. I can safely say this is it, or this is what the DOJ wants. So if you want these benefits, this is what you need to do. And SAP drove that message home because they got a huge discount over literally a worldwide system of bribery and corruption. I agree with you on the self-disclosure. And the cynical part of me would say that there aren't as many voluntary disclosures that are occurring in the pipeline, that there's been an appreciable reduction in the number of companies that came that come in now. And it goes back to the Tom Fox strategy, which Volkoff signed on to 10 years ago, which was unless you've got a pervasive scheme that you uncover, in other words, eight countries, six countries, whatever it is. But if you find a problem in one country or two in terms of bribery, what you do is you remediate it, you fix it, you fire people, you document everything that you do to fix it from day one, and you do it quickly, and then you hope that you don't get caught and that you're not detected. If you are, and at some point that happens, then you go in and you hand over the whole file to justice, and you say, here's what we found out. Now, there may be issues that come up with statute of limitations and prosecuting individuals in that case, and there may be some reason that you might do it disclosed later. But all I'm saying is that I think in the FCPA bar in general, there's been a rethinking of the balancing of benefits versus costs. So my theory is that self-disclosures started to uh, diminish. And what DOJ started to say is we can talk internally. They said we can talk tough about recidivism, but we don't want these recidivists not disclosing. Let's do something with this. And Kenneth Polite, there must have been some internal debate about this and the cases that were in the pipe pipeline. And they came out with this sort of rebalanced voluntary disclosure type of uh, equation. Now, the Albemarle case is an important case in gleaning where the tea leaves are. They were late by weeks on the voluntary disclosure 
They, in other words, they disclosed, I think it was 16 weeks, I may be wrong on, on the number, but weeks after they had learned of the conduct. And they were then barred from voluntary disclosure. But on the other hand, what they did, and I know the attorney who handled this, she's terrific, I worked with her in another case, is they remediated before they even disclosed. They started to remediate the problems in Albemarle, which were in more than one country, at least three to four countries, just blatant commissions being paid to agents and others to secure contracts. And, and they got a 45% reduction. And I think for some reason they wouldn't give them 50%, but the 45% reduction certainly sent a message to everybody that we want to hear. And now I know Albemarle's not a recidivist, but notice year, a year earlier, that would have been from 25%, 25% from the bottom of the guideline range. Nonetheless, they used 45%. So I think there's a message there of we're going to hand out bigger benefits when you come in and cooperate. And the biggest benefit of all is for those people who come in and self-disclose. And I hate to go back to, this shows my age again, Tom, but when Judge Stanley Sporkin said to me when he started the FCPA enforcement program at the SEC, and for the first year or two, basically what he told every company is, everybody who comes in gets immunity. Everybody who comes in and voluntarily discloses, gets immunity. And he said it worked great. Everybody came in and they had tons and tons of people coming in because it was a new area of the law. But what we're seeing, I think, is a trend towards more and more carrots for self-disclosure and making it worth your while so that you can sit down with your client and say, look, if you don't disclose the trade-off here is pretty significant. It may be 20 million versus 200 million in a 10 times multiple in terms of the penalty. And I think that's what we're starting to see in terms of where DOJ is going. Because then you look at, and let's take a look just for a second at the SAP case. And the SAP case, to me, is just another example of a case that would have had a penalty in the four to six, 400 to $600 million range, as opposed to a $220 million uh, penalty. And you make a really terrific point, which is they did not even voluntarily disclose. They got a three-year deferred prosecution agreement. They were making bribery payments in South Africa and Indonesia. And, in, and to me, in this case, again, remember, SAP had a sanctions violation prosecution that they resolved in 2021. And they had an FCPA case in Panama with the SEC, with, with the, that they resolved with the SEC. There was no DOJ. I don't know what happened to the DOJ case. Probably declined. And so here we are with somebody with three, with two priors, convictions, let's say, and they come in with the third, which involved. And by the way, there was also the facts that were described in the DOJ settlement documents for SAP involved Indonesia, India, South Africa, and Indonesia. Whereas the SEC enforcement action had greater Africa 
several countries within there, and Azerbaijan. This was conduct that, let's say, stretched over geographic areas that years ago, in the good old days, would have resulted in at least $400 million. And nonetheless, here we have, I granted, extensive remediation, full cooperation, the whole laundry list of everything. And they also pointed out the root cause analysis that was done. They enhanced their compliance program, eliminated third-party sales commission model globally, and prohibited all sales commissions for public sector contracts in high-risk markets, disciplined a bunch of employees, and not only that, they withheld bonuses from their senior executives, totaling, what, $109,000, which was taken off the penalty in accordance with the criminal division's uh, policy on that. But again, what I don't want to hear about with regard to SAP is, tell us about how recidivists are going to be smacked around. No, if you're a recidivist, we still want you to come in and fix the problem. But just be straight up about it in that sense. I think, though, DOJ is walking a fine line here because they don't want to admit or concede or even suggest that they're not getting the requisite voluntary disclosures. And I think the other thing at the same time, and maybe this is another clue in terms of putting all this together, Tom, is that... DOJ in 2023 made all the divisions, except for antitrust, which has the leniency policy, but there's a self-disclosure incentive there, big one, but basically had all the divisions come up with self a voluntary self-disclosure policy. And I think they want to, they wanted to have uniformity and probably the most important area that they adopted that program and tinkered with it a little bit more was in sanctions and export controls. Because I think, as Lisa Monaco has called it, the new FCPA, we're going to start to see corporate enforcement actions this year against companies for sanctions violations or export controls. Uh, violations that are going to resemble what the FCPA has, which is DOJ and the regulatory agency, the SEC in the case of bribery, having parallel resolutions. But I think the clue is that be all and end all right now is self-disclosure. And I think we've seen a like an arc, a story arc from 2022, even from 2021, you can argue, to 2023 where all of a sudden it's all about voluntary self-disclosure. And that's the be-all and end-all. And I like your clue about the fact of the monitorships. Last year, we had no monitorships in 2023. 2022, we did. But in 2023, we didn't. And so I think that there's even more incentive now to voluntarily disclose if you want to avoid a corporate monitor. That at least gives counsel another possible benefit that's out there about the voluntary self-disclosure. Here's why it's in your interest to do it. So maybe that's my that's the only rational justification I can come up for why this arc has moved. But we're not in any day, if you're a recidivist now, 
you're not going to end up sitting there thinking, I'm not going to get, I'll be lucky to get 25% off the bottom range, even if I do everything I can. In fact, what you're going to, what is really evident using ABB and SAP and all these policy pronouncements is if you walk in with voluntary disclosure as a recidivist, not the sky's the limit, but you can really cut your penalty down. You can really get through, but it's going to require a wholesale shift. And we know the person, Tom, the professional at the head of the ABB remediation, and she speaks to me with authority. And I know that she would speak to the Justice Department with authority and a lot of gravitas because she's an experienced uh, professional. So when she says we're remediating our culture and every aspect of this, I'm sure her representations carried a lot of weight at DOJ, going back to the ABB story. See, Mike, that beyond the credibility of that CCO, I think what ABB did was something Wei Chin said way back in 2017. What's the evidence you have to back up what you said you did? And that's the brilliance of ABB completely going in for data-driven compliance was everything they did was based on data. And as you well know, I used to say the three most important words in compliance were document. That means data document and database your decision and database your monitoring and use the information you garner from that monitoring to database your remediation going forward. So I think they were able to use data-driven compliance to not simply design their remediation, but to demonstrate the effectiveness of the DOJ. And the test for monitorship previously was, had you built out your compliance program and then had you tested it fully? And could you present the testing results to the Department of Justice? Now it's, did you self-disclose? And It's not clear to me whether Albemarle or SAP were able to meet those burdens, particularly on point two. It's pretty clear to me SAP met that burden because there was such a detailed discussion of what they had done. Now, Albemarle was specifically called out for two things. And when I say called out, I don't mean that negative, applauded by the Department of Justice. Number one, creating and implementing a data-driven compliance program. First DPA or first settlement agreement to talk about that. The second thing they did was completely change their third-party compensation model from a commission-based third-party sales agent to a salaried employee model. And that's a huge change, and they were heartily applauded by the Department of Justice, which I uh, join in with that applause. There's lots for us to learn from these The thing that I would say, unlike 10 years ago, when you and I would say, oh, you read the tea leaves because they said this, now they actually put it in settlement documents. And by putting all of these things, I think we can point to tangible things they expect, or at least tangible things other companies have done that warranted the DOJ saying, we think this is exemplary. And uh, that's what I've gotten out of the series of S. FCPA enforcement actions from ABB through Albemarle up to SAP is 
clear communication from the Department of Justice on their expectations. So I'm not as concerned about whether or not they're going after recidivists. I'm more concerned about the advice that I can give, whether it's in a blog, whether it's in a podcast, or whether it's as a compliance professional counseling a company. And that's where I think the DOJ has done a good job at communicating to the wider compliance profession what their expectations are. No, I agree with you on that. There's no doubt that their greater explanation and transparency in terms of the factors they're taking into account is something of great value to practitioners like you and me. And it allows us to advise clients better. It allows us to know what factors are more important or to DOJ. I think also your point about data is well taken. It coincides with Matt Galvin's arrival at DOJ. We've heard it from other sources in terms of people who are under monitorships or whatever, that there is a data aspect to compliance now that is essential. And the questions that come from DOJ are not now, do you have a policy or do you audit or review the performance? The question is, what data do you have to justify any conclusion here? And what are your conclusions? And show us the data. And I think that is a good thing. All of this is a good thing because years ago, you were writing about the need for more explanation from DOJ, and they responded to that. And now we have more information. And I think that 2023 was a significant sort of steering change in from ABB on. Because keep in mind, going back to 2023, before AB, ABB case, we had Stericycle where there was no testing done of the compliance enhancements. So therefore, they were they had a compliance monitor, independent compliance monitor assigned. But we didn't have one in ABB. And that's because the policy was changing. And we also had Glencore, which was $400 million or so in the bribery, and then even more with regard to some of the fraudulent activities in the commodities trading market. So there was no question that DOJ was on its continuing path in 2022, and then ABB happened, and then things changed. And, And I think the where we are now is the calculus and the balance has changed on voluntary disclosure and what remediation looks like. Cooperation is cooperation, and everybody translates, everybody makes witnesses available, everybody navigates the data laws, data privacy laws from various countries to get in. But it's in those two other areas of remediation and voluntary disclosure where the game is now. And I think your point is uh, well taken. I think it We've had two slow, relatively slow years from DOJ in FCPA enforcement, and let's see what happens this year. I thought the timing of SAP being so early in the year was clearly they wanted to probably get it out by the end of 2023, but it certainly indicates that DOJ is not to be ignored when it comes to FCPA enforcement. That's for sure. I thought it was a significant series of announcements literally from December 2022 through 2023 into 2024 
all I can say, Mike, is more will be revealed. That's for sure. Well, Mike, as always, this has been great. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks, Tom. Good to talk to you. And let's, let's reconnect later this year. We can see what this year looks like. As I said, I'll be opening of this podcast. This month's sponsor is Epico. And Epico will provide compliance champions like yourself with an ethics and compliance optimization system to turn goals and guidelines into real ROI for your compliance program. To learn more, go to epico.com backslash EPN and a special right paper. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe right now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.